Ephesians 6, 18 to 24. I'll begin reading in verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Bioengineers are working on exoskeletons for people that have suffered from paralysis. And they're, they're quite amazing. The idea is that it would give them mobility again. And the idea is that there's a, a skeleton exo outside of the person and that with the person's own thoughts and, and movements, he's able to or she is able to control that, that, that device in order to take steps and be able to move even though that person's legs aren't able to move in and of themselves. And of course, in our day, one of the applications of these exoskeletons that they're working on is for soldiers in the field, not only for those who have suffered paralysis. The idea is that they would have this extra skeleton outside of themselves that would have superhuman strength. And that would be very, very convenient on the battlefield, wouldn't it? If they could walk in like the movies with superhuman strength. Oh, tank in the way. Let's get this out of the way sort of thing. Now, there is a problem, though, with the exoskeletons up to this point. They need power. And batteries tend to be very, very heavy. Even if they can use very lightweight material for the, the skeleton itself and the, the motor that runs it, the battery is very, very heavy. And so they're not in widespread use at all up to this point, but they are hopeful. The battery is that which activates the body armor, which activates this skeleton and gives superhuman strength. Now, when we come to the text today, what we find is a continuation of what we saw last week about the armor of God. We saw the pieces of the armor of God last week. But you'll notice that when he gets to verse 18, he drops the metaphors. Previously, the metaphors were the like the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the, the shoes of readiness uh, to share the gospel. But now there's no piece of armor, as it were, that corresponds to this last element, which indicates that it's really not one element, but we could see it as that battery that activates all the other elements. Without this this activating force, then the other elements won't work well. The pieces of the armor won't work as they're supposed to work. And what is that battery? What is that activating force? It's, it's prayer. 
It's prayer. And that's what he says here. Dropping the metaphor, dropping the image, and simply saying, praying at all times in the Spirit. And he goes on and he talks about five different aspects of prayer. Five different aspects of prayer. And we will hear the word all repeated various times here. Because what we have here is the when, the how, the what, and the for whom to pray. This isn't exhaustive, but it's actually very expansive here, telling us when to pray, how to pray, for what to pray, and for whom to pray. So the first thing, when to pray. Well, that's an easy one. Verse 18, praying when? At all times. At all times. Now, this cannot mean that the only thing we do is pray. Uh, Because, look at Paul, it wasn't that the only thing he did was pray. But it does mean that all that we do is affected, surrounded by, bathed in, touched by prayer. So it's not that the only thing we do is pray, but everything we do is affected by prayer. Now, uh, when we come to prayer, I've seen different Will it be abilities among Christians, different levels of, of giftedness among Christians? I, I know Christians that are seem to be very gifted in prayer, but it's not just uh, an activity for the gifted. It's not just, well, some people have their gifts, some people have other gifts. Everybody who's a Christian needs to pray and develop this, uh, this ability to, to affect everything we do with prayer. Some do that apparently quite naturally, and I know folks that just do that. It seems that they're always naturally in a in a state of prayer and I'm kind of envious of that because I'm not one of those persons and so for those who are not like that which I I take to be the majority of Christians there is a need for us to structure and remind and build into our lives you find the the psalmist referring to praying three times a day or seven times a day there's a there's a building in of this structure of prayer if it's not if it's not our go-to response to life, then we need to build in reminders, disciplines to, to get us to, the, at least if it's not the, the, the default response, at least it becomes a, a habit to pray in all sorts of circumstances. So what do we need to do? We need to do whatever it takes to be people who are constantly praying. And then he says all kinds of prayer. And by the way, it says prayer in the Spirit, in the Spirit. We have seen that throughout Ephesians. Uh, We've seen Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout Ephesians. And here we have seen this expression in the Spirit. Uh, This actually is, is still somewhat flowing out of that idea of being filled in the spirit back in chapter five being filled in the spirit and and connie passed on to me an image of being filled in the spirit usually we translate that as filled with the spirit but if you take a receptacle and you you put it in water and you submerge you submerge it in water what happens that receptacle it gets filled so you're filling it in the water but what happens it gets filled with the water and i love that image uh, from one of her favorite uh, favorite authors of the uh, the nineteenth century, uh, Adolphe Monod. So if you uh, take a receptacle and you you fill it in water, it gets filled with water. And so those images are not contradictory. And so we've seen that. So being filled, submerged in the Spirit, we are filled with the Spirit, and we're to pray always in that same filling of 
the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. And then, what should we pray? It says, praying at all times in the Spirit with, here's the other all, here's the second all, with all prayer and supplication. All prayer and supplication. In other words, all kinds of prayers. All kinds of prayers. And if you look at Scripture, there are all kinds of prayers in Scripture, aren't there? There are prayers of petition. There are prayers of thanksgiving. There are prayers of praise. There are prayers of confession. There are prayers of lament. There are prayers of complaint. There are all sorts of prayers in Scripture. There are prayers that are they're expressed in song. All kinds of prayer. Now, this opens up uh, the possibilities of prayer very, very widely. Very widely. Uh, so pray about all sorts of things. At the same time, I think there is a tendency of us to kind of pray in a lowly way, and we need to learn to elevate our prayers, at least I do. My my default is just to pray about the kind of the mundane things of life, and that's fine. It's good to pray about the mundane things of life. But in in Scripture, there is this, this elevation of prayer, and we've seen it twice, at least, in Ephesians. The kinds of things that Paul prayed for, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 15, Here we have an example of the kind of things Paul prayed for. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Is that how your prayers sound? Mine don't either, unless I'm reading this and praying through this and using this to instruct me. My prayers are more like, oh, so-and-so has a bunion, and please heal so-and-so. And, and that's good to pray about that, right? I, I mean, all things, all kinds of petitions. But, but Scripture, if we allow it to teach us how to pray, it lifts our prayers up to big things, to kingdom-centered things. This is actually universal things, things in the heavenly places. And, and how can we do that? Well, it's helpful to use Scripture itself. If you don't know what to pray... Open the Psalms and pray what's in the Psalms or open Ephesians chapter 1 or open Ephesians chapter 3 and pray what's there and you will find your prayers being elevated or or go back and learn from some of the great saints of old. I have a couple of different uh, prayer books that, that guide me. One is almost, it's basically all scripture. And then I have a couple others that are Puritan prayers. And when I when I pray through those Puritan prayers, I feel like I've never prayed in my whole life. Because they're so elevated, they're so majestic, they're so so focused on on big things. Hymnals as well. Uh, sometimes I, I use hymns to pray. Some, if I know them, I sing them. If I don't, I just read through them because of the beauty and the, the elevated language and the elevated concepts. And also praying with others. I love praying with others because when I pray with others, I learn from them how to pray. And they lift up my prayers as well. And I hear them pray and I say, I want to pray like that. 
because because that's a, a prayer that that's really in keeping with the, the tenor of Scripture. So pray all kinds of prayers. And then still in verse 18, pray with alertness in all devotedness. Verse 18, it says to that end, keep alert. It says here with all perseverance that could be translated as it is in other places. Devotedness, devotedness. Um, this uh, these two words, alertness. Jesus called us to be alert in general. If you go back to, to Mark chapter 13, verse 13, where he has that, that discourse about the end of the ages, he says that we should, it, it's the same word, we should keep alert, that we should keep awake. Why? Because we don't know when he's coming back. And that's the same sort of mentality here, uh, being alert in prayer, having our eyes open and being aware of what's, what's happening. And in addition to that, being devoted, devoted to prayer. If you go back to, um, you go back to Acts, Chapter 1, uh, verse 14. This is the same word. It says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And if you look at chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 42, we find the same thing. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers devoted to prayer and that's that's my 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 longing for our church that we would be a church that's devoted to prayer and i'm really pleased actually as i as i think about our church about how much prayer goes on in our church there are couples that have the the habit of praying together daily there are families that gather for prayer daily we have a a ministry where women uh, connect uh, with a prayer partner, a different prayer partner each month, and they they pray with each other in different ways during the month. We have a a prayer meeting that that meets a couple times a month on on uh, Zoom, and and that's combined with with fasting. We have uh, an unhurried time of prayer here during the service. We also have a prayer meeting. I don't know if you know about this, but but before the service, if you want to come early there are some folks that gather back in that back room and and pray in preparation for the service and so we do have a great deal of of prayer that's going on in our church but we can always grow can't we that that devoted to prayer that's the kind of thing i would like for us to be known for oh florida coast church oh that's a church i'd like them to know a number of things about us but but at least that that's a church that is devoted to prayer and if i say that then i need to be a a pastor that is devoted to prayer the next thing, we're still in verse 18. For whom should we pray? It says, making supplication for all the holy ones, the saints, the saints, the Christians, for all of them. And here, this is very, very large. Uh, holy ones are Christians, those who are called out for God's purposes. Now, our prayers are to include as many Christians as possible. Uh, Christians we know, Christians we don't know. We can pray for Christians around the world. We can pray for uh, church uh, churches in our area we can pray for christians that are suffering the persecuted the poor the sick uh, missionaries and so on we can pray for all sorts of christians but but lots of categories here we can pray for christian teachers we can pray for christian politicians we can pray for christian entertainers we can pray for all the saints in whatever categories and whatever places they are and there's a particular category of Christians for whom we ought to pray specifically. And this might seem self-serving on my part to say so, but uh, it's here in the text, and that is for ministers and missionaries. For ministers and missionaries. Here we find Paul in verse 19. These expansive, uh, all times, uh, and all sorts of prayers 
for all the saints and for me too. And here he gets very personal. Pray for me. Pray for me. And what was his prayer? What was his prayer request? Let me ask you. If you were unjustly in a Roman prison and had been a prisoner for over two years, what would your prayer request be? Get me out of here, right? That would be my prayer request as well. I shouldn't be here. This is wrong. I have my rights. That's a a particularly Western way of saying it, right? Get me out of here. I demand my rights. What did Paul pray for? Paul said, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Here, what's he saying? I am here. I am an ambassador for the kingdom of Christ. And so when I have the opportunity to speak to the head of state, then I want to speak boldly the mystery of the gospel. And we've already seen the mystery. What's the mystery of the gospel? Mystery is something that was hidden in the past and now is an open secret. It is revealed now. It's the news of Jesus Christ having died and risen again, not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles to reconcile both groups to God and to each other. So he's standing. Well, not yet, but he's anticipating standing before Caesar, the emperor of the Roman Empire. And he is saying, when I get that chance, or any chance I get, whenever I open my mouth, may I proclaim the gospel boldly. And this, this from, from, as far as I can tell, one of the boldest proclaimers of the gospel that the history of the world has ever seen. And he's praying for boldness and asking others to pray for boldness. And so... How much more if one of the boldest preachers of the gospel needed that prayer from the saints, how much more do we, much more timid ministers and missionaries, need that sort of prayer? We need to pray this for our missionaries. We need to pray this for our ministers that we would, when we open our mouths, boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, um, after... After that, that battery section, that section of, of, of on prayer that activates all of the armor, then we kind of have the wrap-up, the wrap-up of this letter. And this wrap-up is interesting because it's not, not so personal as some of the letters. But he does mention one person, and it's Tychicus. And he mentions Tychicus as the one who will give them information about what's going on. He just mentioned, I'm an ambassador in change. You know I'm in prison. And Tychicus will fill you in on the details. Now, it's interesting to to learn a little bit about Tychicus. It says in verse 21, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister, servant in the Lord, will tell you everything. Tychicus, who was Tychicus? Well, he was from the province of Asia, We learn that. And he traveled with Paul on at least part of his final return journey to Jerusalem. We don't know if he got all the way to Jerusalem and if he was there when Paul was arrested, but he was traveling toward Jerusalem with Paul on that final journey during which Paul got arrested. We learn that from Acts chapter 20, verse 4. He carried this letter to the Ephesians, and he also apparently at the same time carried the letter to the Colossians, which was also a letter for the church in Laodicea. 
So he, he became a, a letter carrier for Paul. But not only that, he was to fill the, the Colossians and the Ephesians in on Paul's goings on. Toward the end of his life, toward the end of Paul's life, Paul entrusted him with a mission to Ephesus. We find that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. And he also considered him for a mission to relieve Titus in the island of Crete. Titus chapter 3, verse 12. And so Tychicus looks like he was kind of the go-to guy for Paul. A difficult mission? Well, ring up Tychicus. Where's Tychicus? We'll get Tychicus to go. We'll get him to go to Ephesus. We'll get him to go to Colossae. We'll get him to go to on the way to Jerusalem. We'll get him to go to Crete. Whatever needs done, Tychicus is the man for the job. So he was a reliable companion of Paul, an effective minister, and he would fill the churches in about Paul's life. And it says that he would not only give them details, but he would encourage them. Verse 22, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So he wasn't just a letter reader. He wasn't just a newsman. He was a minister and he would encourage their hearts. Now, it doesn't say what he would tell them, but we can kind of read between the lines here. Paul has just said, I'm in prison. I'm an ambassador in in chains. And so it's likely that the encouragement was, but don't worry about that. I'm, I'm not worried about that. I have an amazing opportunity here, folks, and I want you to be encouraged. Now, I say that because Paul actually did that explicitly in the letter to the Philippians, which apparently was written, we, probably, we think it was written at the same time as Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. And if you look, it's one, one, one letter over uh, in Ephesians, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, explicitly he said to the Philippians, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being here in prison, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That was the message to the Philippians and probably likely at least part of the information given to the Ephesians. Oh, how's Paul doing? We're so glad we got a letter. Poor Paul. Oh, poor Paul just rotting away in prison. And Paul says, I'm an ambassador, folks, and I have an opportunity to speak to the emperor and others here in Rome. They're encouraged by by my imprisonment here to speak the gospel more boldly. So don't be discouraged, rather be encouraged with what God is doing in the world. We, we need to be encouraged as well. Since I've gotten back to the States, I've realized this is not the United States that I left in terms of responsiveness to the gospel when I left in 1989 or 90. And I, I sense a great deal of discouragement among uh, Christians in the United States. Uh, and so where can we find some encouragement? Well, get some reports from afar. It doesn't look like things are going too well here, maybe, but get some reports from afar and you will find out that the gospel is growing by leaps and bounds in different places around the world. It may not be here yet. We pray that it would be again and preferably in our lifetimes, but be encouraged. The gospel is going forward. That's the report this morning about the work of the gospel in the world. And then we have the closing in verses 23 and 24. And this is very typical of Paul. But I want you to notice something here. Paul, Paul does something. It's called an inclusio. An inclusio is like a bookend. 
It's two bookends. You start with one idea and you finish with the same idea. He bookends this letter with the same ideas. And this is very common in Paul. Look at, look at chapter 1, verse 2. Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this book is going to be, this letter is going to be about grace and it's going to be about peace, very broadly. And how does he end? Verse 23, Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And so he circles back to where he begins and he brings up grace and peace again. But now he does it in the order of Scripture. There's a logical order of grace and peace, and that's the logical order, because grace is the cause, peace is the result. Grace is God's favor towards sinners, His free favor towards sinners. The result of that is shalom, well-being between God and reconciled sinners and among us, Jews and Gentiles. So grace is the cause of peace. But if you look at it historically, first was revealed the idea of peace, shalom. That's, that's, that sums up the Old Testament. And to this day, that's what Jews wish for each other. That's, that's the maximum benefit, that there would be peace, well-being between God and us. And then in the New Testament, we find it's revealed as the path to that grace, or path to that peace is through God's grace, God's grace. And so here's the, the order of Scripture. Peace to you. Peace to you, brothers. And then grace be with all. But he adds a couple other ideas, doesn't he? And these are not new ideas. He says, love with faith. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw this back in, in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 15 of Ephesians. These two ideas as well. Ephesians 1.15, we read here, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, etc. And so he introduced these two ideas of faith and love, and we saw how that summarizes the book as well. The first three chapters are about things to believe, faith. The last three chapters are about things to do, love for God and love for each other. So he has these four elements here. He has these four elements. He has peace and he has grace. He has love with faith. But actually, we can break it down a little bit more because there are two aspects of love or two loves here. The first is God's love. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is love that comes from God. And then verse 24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love uncorruptible or incorruptible. So it's, there's a reciprocal love here. There's God's love for us. And that comes to us through faith. And then there's our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice how this, this builds on itself. Uh, what do those get who, who love the Lord Jesus Christ because He has first loved us? Well, more grace. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this, this is a, a snowball that just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Maybe snowball is not the best illustration for down here, but... I think most of you know how one of those works. Um, what's that? 
Sandball, right. But it doesn't stick together very well. Our sand doesn't. But uh, the idea is it's just getting bigger and bigger. So so God's love leads to our love. And our love is a channel of, of more grace. And grace is the way we get to peace. And it just grows and grows and grows. So what do we have as we land the plane here? Ephesians is 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 a letter that that soars. How many times did we see this idea of the heavenly places? This is a this is a space shuttle sort of sort of letter. It, it takes us out into the the highest places imaginable, and it it shows us Jesus Christ seated in the heavenly places at God's right hand, and it says, "You all are seated there with Him." It it lifts us up to the highest places imaginable. And now it, it lands the, the plane or lands the space shuttle here and it lands with some simple but profound and far-reaching ideas that really summarize the letter. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and peace one with another having been reconciled into one body, the church. The love of God and of Christ that is demonstrated most extravagantly in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Faith by which we are saved. By grace you are saved through faith. And then grace, the favor of God towards sinners, shown in Christ's death for us. And then finally, our incorruptible love for the Lord Jesus. Our undying love for the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who first loved us. I became a Christian just down the road. Some, I don't know, 40 years ago, maybe more by now. And uh, I became a, a Christian there. I was baptized and I, I joined the church, the first church I was a member of. And, and if you're a member of this church, you've answered some questions. And uh, the pastor there, Dr. Kennedy, James Kennedy, he, he read these questions to us and he would read these whenever there were, were members to be received. And, and there are five questions there. I'll just summarize them. It's do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners and you need God's saving mercy? And then the second question, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of sinners? Do you receive Him and rest upon Him? Then the third question, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon Him that you will live as followers of Jesus? And the fourth question, do you promise to support the church in its worship and work? And then the fifth question, do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study or further its purity and its peace? And we would say, yes, 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 yes. And then he would always call an audible. The football fans know what that is. He would he would improvise then, and he would add one more question. He would always add this last question, and he would say, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? And we would say, yes. And if you can say yes to that final question, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Well then, there is a blessing here for you. More peace, more faith, more love, and more grace to you. Let's pray. Our God, this just keeps coming. This love from you, this grace from you, this peace with you, all through faith in Jesus. It just keeps flowing over and over us, Lord. And we have basked in this all through this letter. 
And now we find that very simply, the response is an undying love for the Lord Jesus. I pray that we would all experience your grace so that we might have peace, so that we might have faith in Jesus and that that faith would be with love, love for Jesus and love for our neighbor. Lord, it, it, it comes all down to that. But we thank you for, for causing us to soar into the heights of your majesty throughout this letter and now bringing us down to where we live under your grace, with peace, through faith, in love. And so, Lord, may it be that we manifest in this world in which we live our undying love for the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.